Welcome to the Bob Siegel Show podcast on the Cross Global Media Radio Network. Visit cgmradio.com slash bob to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. I'm your host, Bob Siegel. Always good to be joined by my friend from Texas. Say hello to Jim Barrier. You know, I like the sound of that. My friend from Texas. That might be your next book. <laughs> Hi, Bob. How are you, Jim? Hey, I'm, you know, I'm doing great. I really am. And uh, I thought about titling tonight's show the Shameless Self-Promotion Night, but we're not <laughs> going to call it. <laughs> well, it may be uh, shameless, but it was Jim Barrier's idea to promote this book that I wrote. It is. I take full credit. I blank. just innocently However, sent you a complimentary copy, and if that gave you the idea to talk about it on the radio, so be it. Absolutely. And uh, before we get to that, I just I want to mention a couple of milestones in my own life. Now, I have a podcast on the CGM Network, as you do. I think you do one every day. Yes. Um, and I, I do one every week. And this past week was my podcast number 150. Whoa, I, congratulations. Yeah, I never thought it would go that long, but they keep leaving me on there. So, so that, that's With all a, the many podcasts and competitions, that's doing very well, Jim. Yeah, I'm very happy with that. More important than that, and this is not a self-promotion thing, but tomorrow, August 28th, 55 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And that is a great milestone. It sure uh, is. To be very pleased with. And in fact, here we go, back to the promotion. I was saved. If I can use those words, those words mean different things to different people, but you know what I'm talking about. I became a follower of Jesus Christ on August 28th, 1968, at a high school youth camp hosted by Skyline Church. Now, how's that for full circle? Because you teach a class there at Skyline, and we, we uh, talk about it on the show, but Skyline Church had a part. They played a part in God's plan in seeing my life change dramatically for the good. And that's been 55 years, and I put my hand to the plow and never looked back. And so I'm very happy about that, but I can celebrate 55 years of following Jesus. And you've been a faithful it, follower, too. Yeah, the way it was presented to me, and see, I was not raised in church, so I had no catechism. That probably helped no, immensely. Helped a lot, and I didn't have any preconceived notions. I didn't know what any of this stuff, honestly, I didn't know who Jesus Christ was. I thought maybe he had a brother named Euphor, because we used to talk <laughs> about Euphor Christ. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say right. Mar Martin Euther. No, 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 Youth for Christ. He was Jesus' other book. I didn't know. I didn't know that Easter was about a resurrection. I didn't know that Christmas was actually about a Savior being born. I knew the songs and all that. None of that was real. And when I gave my life to Jesus, I went all in. And, and, and now, this, picture this. If any of you have ever been to a youth camp, it's up in the mountains of San Bernardino, Blue Jay Lodge up near Lake Arrowhead. We do this whole thing all week. It was an exciting week, and kids were turning their lives over to God, and most cases they were church kids, so they did that every year. For me, it was a brand new thing, and we're sitting around one evening at the end of the week, and some of the guys in my bunk room, someone said, well, you know, next week we've got to go back to school, and it's back to normal. And I stood up and said, you're crazy. You're crazy. You think I'm going to go back to the way my life was? Absolutely not. So I, I went all in. I started following Jesus, and I was 
and I went back to school the next week, and my friends in high school thought that I'd had a bad acid trip. Yeah, my was, friends responded was, to me very much the same yeah. way. They couldn't figure out what in the world yeah. had happened. Yeah, and I mean, I was, everything I did, it was, I had to tell people about Jesus. And I started that way 55 years ago, and I, I've kind of stayed on that trail. And then we're going to get in later on, we're going to talk about pastoring and stuff as, as part of your book. So it, it's been a great 55 years for me. It, it hasn't been perfect. There's been ups and downs. I've failed countless times, but the grace of God has just been absolutely everything as advertised. Amazing grace. And so I'm very happy to still be serving the Lord. So now, what I wanted to do, and I talked with Bob about this, we're going, Bob has a new book, it's called The Many Myths About Ministry. And I read the book this past week, and Bob, you nailed it once again. It just, it's a, you did a tremendous job of pointing out Making the obvious obvious. Well, I knew you were a pastor who would like it. I think some pastors might be intimidated by it. It just depends on how much they agree or disagree with what I'm saying, because pastors are being challenged, but all members of church, all of us, and and I'm being challenged. It challenges things I've done. Well, and I will say this. Approach this book, The Many Myths of Ministry by Bob Siegel, the same way I would tell someone to consider reading the Bible or the Gospel of John or just looking at the life of Christ. Don't go in with a preconceived notion or have your mind made up. Read it and see if it doesn't speak to you. And for pastors that might be threatened by some of the things you talk about in there, you know, be honest. And before you read a book like this, you need to pray and, and ask, ask the Spirit of God to bring revelation and help you to have a fertile heart where the seed of the Word of God can land and where you can... You can learn and grow, and it'll bear fruit. So go into it with an open heart and let God possibly rearrange some of your thinking. I just love books like this. So I'm going to jump right off the bat, and I'm just going to hit a few of the topics that really spoke to me out of this book. Now, the first one is the subject of, we have a New Testament church. (laughs) (laughs) And you said, yeah, the greatest thing you had a line I've never heard anybody use about that. You said, well, which New Testament church? Ephesus? Or Thessalonica or Corinth? Corinth. Yeah, Ephesus was actually one of the better ones. But yeah, Corinth, Galatia. Yeah. Yeah, we're always bragging about we're a New Testament church, but they had all the same problems in the New Testament churches that we have today. They were. They were messed up. But people say, well, we have a New Testament church. And it's kind of a sanctimonious thing. It's like implying that other churches aren't New Testament churches. But I, I love that line. Now, a friend of mine accepted the pastorate of a church, and he's very close to me, and, I, and so I started talking to him about it, and, and he said right off the bat, he said, you know, I'm really fighting with the board of trustees here. Most churches have some sort of situation like that. He said, I don't think having a board is scriptural. And I said, you know, you're absolutely right. They did not have boards in the New Testament church. And he said, I, you know, I'm glad to hear you said that. I said, but not too fast. <laughs> They didn't have an annual salary for the pastor. Oh. And they took they care of the pastor. They took collections, but yeah, no, it wasn't yeah, a budget yeah. set no, for there the was year. No, you didn't get a guaranteed salary. And they didn't build buildings. They met in people's homes, you know. And, and so here, if you want to have a New Testament church, decline the salary and get a job making tents or doing something like everybody else has to do and 
lock the doors to the church and say, you guys are going to have to figure out someplace else to meet because we're not meeting in this building anymore. <laughs> now, the only thing I would add is I know people that have met in homes and they say mm-hmm. they're a New Testament church for that reason, and they still get pretty sanctimonious about it because oh my there's gosh, nothing yeah, wrong no, with well, meeting in a regular church building no. either. And, and whether you're meeting in the home and whether you're meeting in a regular yeah, yeah. church building, you can get sanctimonious and arrogant about your church. That's the main point. Either either way. I know people that have house churches, and, and uh, there's nothing wrong wrong with that, but that's not the only way. But I want to point this out now. Are you familiar with Frank Viola? He's another author. He's probably, he's way at the top of my list. He's one of my favorite. I have not read any of his stuff, no. I would recommend it. A bunch of good titles. One is called From Eternity to Here, a little play on words from the old movie title. He writes some really good stuff, but it's that kind of book that challenges your thinking. So if you like books that are going to make you think outside the sphere I don't say outside the box because that's old, that's boring. So I think outside the sphere. After all, Einstein was into curved geometry. So read some books by Frank Viola. Now, one of them that'll just shake you up, just the title alone, is Pagan Christianity, at which, you know, that's an oxymoron or something. But he talks, he goes, he chronicles, he did all this homework and research. And the traditions that we have in the modern church, all the way back through the Renaissance and further, are things that were borrowed from secular culture. And to name a few, these are things that were brought into the church that were not part of the leading of the apostles, the letters, and, and all of those things. Here's some things that were instituted in the church that were, that were borrowed from secular models. First off, the buildings, we talked about that. Constantine had a lot to do with this. He really loved the big temples and the buildings and structures, and so they started building buildings again. Now, I know there was a temple for Israel, and we talked about that the last time I was on the and show. And there were but, churches that modeled themselves after the Jewish synagogues, too, since Christianity right. grew yeah. out of Judaism. Yeah, same kind of thing. Stained glass windows was a totally secular thing. Steeples, pulpits, robes, pews, and I mentioned professional clergy. And these are all things that were brought in from secular culture. Even and robes were the sign of Roman authority. So when the church kind yeah, of became yeah, the state yeah. religion of Rome, Roman dignitaries translated themselves yeah. into pastors, priests. Yeah. And, and even things about the order of service, particularly the sermon. Paul would preach and teach, and guys, but when they met together, there was interaction, and everybody brought something to the table. And now it's you sit and listen to a guy for 45 minutes to an hour, with an introduction, three points, a conclusion, with interspersed humorous anecdotes, an invitation, and a closing prayer. And, that's, <laughs> and it's got to match up with rhythm. God is a caring God. God is a sharing yeah. God. Yeah. God is a preparing God. Yeah, you got to do the word alliteration thing, and I've, I'm guilty of that. I've done a lot of that. But you know what I'm talking about. You have that routine every week. Frankly, and folks... Let's be honest here, and I want you to understand the perspective this is coming from. I was a pastor for 40 years, okay? I know the drill. I can do it in my sleep. In fact, I'm going to church. Les and I are joining a church we found here that we really like, because I know the pastor pretty well. And they find out that I'm a retired pastor. And they say, well, how does that work? I said, well, what it means is I don't get a paycheck anywhere. My name's not on anybody's door. I'm still a pastor, but I'm attending this church. 
And it's very, very different for me to be part of the congregation. And I'm not up on the platform. I don't preach. I don't play my guitar and sing or lead worship. I don't, I'm just there kind of receiving and interacting and being part of the body. And hopefully they view your experience and wisdom as an asset rather than a threat because you were a pastor yourself. Oh, oh no, this pastor, this is the how far back we go. Pastor Sean, I had him come and do a youth camp for me in a church that I was pastoring. So oh, good. Well, glad history. you have a good history with him. Yeah. Yeah, and he immediately said, I'll put you to work. I said, no, you won't. (laughs) (laughs) I came to the office. Uh, (laughs) But he understands. I just want to come here. I need some time just to, this is a new season of life for me. So they do all the stuff there. And I'm enjoying going to church and not having a job or responsibility or, or any of that stuff. I can just go and be another member of the church. Now, this church, part of being a member, they want you to be in a small group, which meet in homes. This is a big church. It might not be quite as big as Skyler, but it's a big church. It's really grown. He started, he planted this church, and it's just done really well. And one of the things I love about our church, see, I just called it our church. That might be a first. And the You're name feeling of the church, at home there. Riverside, it's called River City Community Church, and, and it's in the suburbs of San Antonio. It's in an area called Selma. And that would be like saying Lemon Grove or La Mesa to San Diego. Okay. Do you sing Trouble uh, at River City from the Music Man as yeah, one of your morning time, hymns? Every, I, it's so hard for me not to do that every time I see that name. But we're going there, so we're going to get into a small group because that's part of the criteria for membership in this church. But I'm loving it. I'm loving just being a member and being, I don't know if I'll ever be a normal guy, but you know what I'm saying. You know, <laughs> I won't be on celebrity status, hopefully. So that's part of the deal with church. Now, <laughs> you told a story in the book about, you know, you go to these pastors, you have all these pastors, and they take turns preaching to each other. Oh, that's Oh, overkill. the story where they were asked to get up and lead us in prayer for yeah. two minutes, and we got a sermon yeah. out of each and every one of them. There every were about time. 30 every of these time. guys. Uh, there's a story about it. A guy went to one of these pastors' meetings, and they were actually taking turns preaching. And a guy would get up and preach a sermon, and then... Sit down the next day and get up and preach. And it got down, there was two people left. There was a guy up there preaching, and there's a guy still listening. <laughs> so the, the, he preached, the preacher preached his sermon, and he got done, and he went down, and he shook the man's hand. He said, I want to thank you so much for just for staying here. He said, it's okay, I'm up next. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it's so disingenuous. When they tell you you have five minutes, you take 10. When they tell you you have 30, you take 45. 45 means an hour. It's so disingenuous. I think the title of that chapter is The Sin We Let Our Pastors Get Yes, away with. it is. It is. Because they're <laughs> and, uh, above reproach and nobody ever says anything, but everybody's thinking well, it. Well, some people say something. I had somebody say something to me once, but I went to a church growth seminar. I was addicted to those things for a while. I quit going. But I went to one that was up in Oregon. And if I said the pastor's name, you might know him, but they had a big old church. And this guy, every Sunday morning, he preached a 22-minute sermon. And if he, he could have been on the third point of a five-point sermon or whatever. At 22 minutes, he just stopped. Well, that shows that and, he had integrity. Well, no, what it shows, I'll tell you what it shows, that it, it was all printed out. You could read right along. Oh, I see. Everybody he had, had it scripted copy. word for word, so when he was done, he was yeah. done. Yeah, and I mean, even the you know the illustrations, you read along, it says, the other day I went into the hardware store, and he says, the other day I went into the hardware store. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, this is, it was weird, but I thought that was very strange. And then a couple of years later, I read a statistic. It was an aha experience. If you take the average half-hour TV sitcom and remove the commercials, you have 22 minutes. Yeah, that's very true. <laughs> and that's, 
the attention span of most Americans. And this guy tapped into it. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's sadly uh, true. The longer you go on after a while, people just stop listening. And some people are charismatic enough that they can be entertaining the whole time, but they're still being dishonest with the time they're given, unless yeah. they were told from the beginning, yeah, we want you to take a whole hour. But that's seldom yeah. what happens. People get caught up and they're thinking, oh, the spirit's leading me to go on. When actually they may just like listening to themselves talk. Who are we kidding? You know, the most dangerous thing a pastor can say to a visiting speaker, take your liberty. Because <laughs> <laughs> they will, often. Now, let's move to another, one of my favorite, you know, I have pet peeves about pastoring. You know, I'd be down there and the phone would ring, and most of the time I answered that I didn't have a secretary. It was a small church. And, and I'd answer the phone, and there'd be somebody, they're going through the yellow pages probably and looking for a church. And so the first question, well, do you preach the word? Now, that, that's Don't you love these litmus code. test questions? Exactly. That's what that is. It's a, it's and what that means is I there's have... one or two things that they think yeah. they need to be doing. Is That's what they mean when they say the word. That's what it is. And so I'll just cut to the chase and say, okay, I want to know what your hot button yeah. is. Yeah, is it dancing? Is it drinking? What's the issue you have yeah. here? Yeah, is it tongues? Is it preterm rapture? Is it eternal security? You know, what, what's the thing? Let's get it over with. And because the truth is, even if I answer correctly, you're not going to like my church and you're not going to like me, because I promise you, I will offend you the first week. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> the second part to the litmus test, you know, uh, do you preach the word, what Bible do you use? Now, oh, you know, that's, only one that answer. sounds like it's got to be King James or you gave the wrong yeah. answer. That's the only people that ask that question. Is, is, is exactly. uh, people that are locked into King James because you know King James good was good enough for the Apostle Paul. It's good enough for me. <laughs> oh man! And sometimes just because you know, sometimes I can be a smart aleck, and they say, "What Bible do you use?" And I say, "Oh, oh, the Holy Bible." <laughs> uh, that's not what they wanted to hear. No, I know what they want to hear. So anyway, yeah, King James, and I don't, I can't believe some people are still stuck on that. But uh, and it's not a bad Bible. King James is okay, but unless you're used to reading a lot of Shakespeare and stuff like that, it, it's going to relate to a lot of people. I like the um, Revised Standard Version and the Virgin Mary. That's for me. Okay, well, I am a New American Standard Bible guy. I use that. That's usually my go-to Bible. But I use a lot of different tools because sometimes you can get a little sweeter rendering in one thing. Somebody might have something that they catch about a particular word or verse, and, it, and it's relevant. And the truth is, most of the Bibles, King James, New American Center, the Revised, even paraphrases like the NIV. And yes, the NIV is a paraphrase. In if many places it is, stuff, yeah. You're going to get the gist of the thing. But anyway, I suggest that you get some Bible study tools. Start with a Strong's Concordance, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance. Get yourself a Dave's Topical Bible and a Unger's Bible Dictionary. And then you get a couple of books by a guy that's a little less known, but R.A. Torrey. He was a friend of D.L. Moody. And he was quite the theologian. But you get some tools to help you with that stuff. And I would do those things before I would do the commentaries. Because with commentary, now you're going to get some guy's opinion and his theology. But you can... The other tools help you a lot. Anyway, so I read the King James and a whole bunch of other. I've got 26 different translations of the scriptures in my library here. So now let's move to something that is in your book. And you make the statement, and I've heard this from a number of people, and I, I happen to agree that more people are kept away from church because of previous church experience. They've been offended. They've been disappointed. They've seen hypocrisy. 
all of those kind of things has kept people out of church. And I really think that that's true. I have a number of friends that just they will not go to church because they had so many bad experiences. They got burned, they got hurt, whatever. And they just quit going. And that's really, really sad. But it's a reality in our culture. And I think it has lent itself to this thing. We've mentioned this before. But this phrase, well, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You ever heard someone say that? Yeah, by a person that's far less aware than they think they are usually. Yeah, and celebrities say that a lot. Because celebrities can't afford to be tagged. It's the old, I serve God in my own way kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It's just a variation on things. I think that the New Testament version of that is people who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. <laughs> so I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. Okay, well, that that's fine. You know what? There's a few words that people get upset about, and one of them is religion. Do you know that religion is not a bad word in and of itself? No, James, James says, uses the word religion. Yeah. People always say, oh, Christianity yeah, so, isn't a religion. It depends on how you're defining religion. Yeah. It's not a false religion. It's not a made-up religion, if that's what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, and man-made stuff, the traditions, yeah, that wears me out. Religious traditions and that kind of stuff. The machinery of big-time institutionalized money-making religion. I'm not about that at all. So I do get that when they don't want to be linked to religion. But there's something more. Everybody's spiritual. Everyone has a spirit. It's just some of their spirits are dead. (laughs) And they're not spiritually alive. They haven't been born again. But we all have the capacity for spiritual things. The problem is, unless you're submitted to Jesus Christ as your Lord and the ruler of your life, you're open to other spiritual activity. And that's what's dangerous about that, I'm spiritual. Well, yeah, what spirit is it that's in there tickling your ears? So I just wanted to say that about that. Yeah, a phrase Um, like that could sound good, but it all depends on what you mean when you're using it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's what I do. I say, well, what, define that for me. Tell me what that means to you. And then sometimes you don't get a very clear answer because nowadays people say that because they heard someone else say it. And they said, that sounds pretty cool. I could kind of let myself off the hook here. I'm not an atheist. And I think that's kind of where some of these people are. I know there's a God, but the truth is I don't want anybody making up rules for me and telling me how I have to live. So that's how you can be spiritual without being religious. You say, oh, yeah, I believe there's a God but I don't believe in all your morals and stuff. I want to be able to live what I, how I want. I want to do what I want, where I want, when I went with whoever I want. And I don't want anybody telling me I can't do that. But I'm spiritual. I'm spiritual. And so, <laughs> you know, there's a lot of that. And I have a lot of friends who are musicians and artists. And I, my heart goes out to these people. I love these people. They're creative. And I always tell them, I say, you know, you have God's DNA in you. That's why you're creative because you were created by a creator, and he put that in you, but you need to use it for him. But creative types, musicians and artists, and I think this reaches into the Hollywood community as well, they have a hard time because their creativity doesn't, they don't want to restrict it with boundaries that someone has, man-made stuff, and so they resist anything that sounds religious or legalistic, and they swing the other way on the pendulum. And actually, a wise man, I think it was C.S. Lewis, but One of the writers that I've read over the years, he said, the church has never seen the balance point riding the pendulum between legalism and license, except that brief second when they swing by midpoint. (laughs) 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 It's a great description. of. He had a great way of putting things. Yeah. So that's what's going on with that stuff. Now, 
I want to go back to the pastors' meetings just because <laughs> you, you said, I don't like pastors' meetings. You say that in your book. Well, you got to understand, Jim, the only reason I said that is because I don't like pastors' meetings. What? <laughs> you know what? I read that, and I just said, hey, man, I jumped up, and I said, you go, Bob. Say what so many of us think. And I've gone to those things. I went to one one time. This is a true story, folks. I went to a pastor's meeting. It was a luncheon type of thing or something. And you wear name tags because nobody really knows each other. And I walk up and I meet this guy for the first time, large man. And I said, I'm Jim. And I see his name on a second. I said, well, how are you? And he said, oh, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm so blessed. If I get any more blessed, I'll explode. And I said, well, God bless you. <laughs> And he didn't explode. I was so disappointed. I wanted, oh, I, see. I, wanted to, I wanted to see a miracle. But, and, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so you sit there, and you do this thing. At most of those ones, there's one pastor that gets picked to bring the message that day for the rest of the men of God. Well, and that's my men point. These pastors' fellowships yeah. aren't really fellowship. If they were time to sit down and hold each other accountable and lift each other— but yeah. Christians just don't feel right about organizing something where somebody isn't going to get up and speak to us. It's as if we feel That's threatened to. to do anything different. We don't know any different. No. And I'm sitting there, and they're good guys. And we have some pretty big-name preachers in our city here, some of whom I really like. Yeah, one is Max Locato. He's right here in San Antonio. He's a great, great, great man author, of God yeah. and, a, and a terrific human being. When you see him on the street or in the market, you wouldn't guess he's a pastor because he just looks like everybody else. And when he talks to you, he just talks to you like a regular person. Like, and I love like what Jesus did. Yeah, oh, yeah. So anyway, whoever's preaching that day is up there, and there's a room full of pastors. It's just a room full of pastors. It's like we didn't go to church enough. And this is, I think, in big part, the solution to that thing. We talked about people who have been hurt by church or people who are spiritual but not religious, they need an experience that isn't just the Sunday morning sermon, call to worship, opening prayer, offering announcements, scripture reading, singing, skip the third verse, sermon, you know, <laughs> invitation, closing prayer. A church that gets creative, and they find ways to draw in the community, to reach out to the community, outreach things, food banks, mom's day out where they do free daycare, things like that can really be a healing process for people, or at least a fresh aroma to attract people that maybe wouldn't just jump right in and start going on Sunday morning. So the church experience doesn't have to be a negative thing. And a lot of the onus for solving that is on the pastors. Pastors need to get their ego out of the way. And, you know, we talk about fellowship. You have to have connection with other people. If you just go once a week, or maybe you're really religious and you go twice a week and listen to somebody else talk, and then you get up and walk out and you don't have connection with people, you don't build relationships, you don't share, there's not accountability, those kinds of things, then you're really missing the power of what church has to offer. So if you're not a churchgoer, you've been kind of tentative or afraid, or you were hurt in the past, I'm going to encourage you, find a place and I tell people this all the time, even when I was pastoring, uh, someone would talk about coming to the church. You know, I was probably the only pastor in town that would try to talk people out of it. I say, you know, you really need to pray about this, uh, whether you want to come to this church, because if you come in here, you're stepping right into the battlefield. But if you're searching for a church, I always say, first off, you got to go more than once. 
Because you might go on the Sunday that is the absolute greatest Sunday they've ever had, or you might go on the absolute worst Sunday they've ever had. So go a couple of times and see what it's like. Churches are like a pair of shoes. You got to try them on. They might not fit. And so you got to find something that fits you and where you're at and what you need, what your family needs. But most important, if, if you're already a believer, then you have to start by praying and asking God to lead you to the church he wants you in, which is a huge thing. I've always said the right reason for joining a church is because it's where you know God wants you to be. And on the other end of that is there's only one reason for leaving a church, and it's because you know God wants you to leave to go into some next chapter or adventure in his kingdom in your life. But this jumping around from church to church and the pastor says something and he offended me or somebody hurt me, and you say you you leave and you go from one church to the next and you just keep bouncing around and you'll never, ever find the right place if it's all about you and your feelings, which unfortunately we have a whole culture right now of people that are led by their feelings. So Find a church, pray about it, ask the Lord to give you some direction, and every one of us has our own kind of guidance system that the Holy Spirit works in you, and the Lord leads you, and it may be a little different for you than it is for me, but you know how to hear the voice of God, and ask Him to help you find the place to go. And then, when you make that commitment, and you know that this is where God wants you, then tough it out. Tough it out. You know, you might go through some hard things, you might have some people that rub you the wrong way, oh, what a surprise. They're human. (laughs) Tough it out. Stay committed. Learn to dialogue. Learn to solve problems. Learn how to work things out. And you can have a great, great experience. I've spent 55 years of my life going to church, and 40 of those as a pastor were, it was my job to go to church. And for the most part, even when I wasn't a pastor, I would go to church. Man, when I was in Scotland, they had something going almost every day of the week, and I was there almost every day of the week. Couldn't get enough of it because, one, I wanted to go there and get something from God. Two, I wanted to be with those people who love God. Yeah, I need, it was your family. It was like your home. Yeah, and I need a positive influence. Oh, we know there's plenty of negative influence out there. Man, go to school, go to work, go home. You know, there's places where you can get all kinds of negative feedback. And when you go to church, you ought to be getting things that build you up. Edify is the word in the Bible in the King James. And people encouraging you and helping you draw closer to the Lord. And that's what happens if you're in the right church. And you know what else? You wind up doing that for others. You wind up encouraging people and helping them draw closer to the Lord. And so it should be a good thing. It's a growing thing. There are tough times. And as you mentioned, all of those churches in the New Testament had problems. And Paul and other writers spent a lot of their time correcting those problems, saying, brethren, these things ought not be so. See, I can speak King James. and uh, <laughs> uh, But you can make it a good experience. A lot of it is in your attitude, and a lot of it is in obedience. Be obedient to what God is calling you to do. Now, I want to talk about something that you do mention, and that is worship, which in today's church, that means singing. In the old days, worship was that service for the morning. It was the call to worship, and you went to worship service. Now, What's happened because of contemporary Christian music and the big industry of selling CDs, and I've purchased many myself, worship to many people means music. In fact, I have one friend, and he's a pastor in California, (laughs) and he's 
we talked about this. He thought that worship meant slow songs and praise means fast songs. <laughs> wow. Dude, you need to get you need to do a little study about this, but worship is music. That's what people think. I'm gonna tell you this. I've done an in-depth, exhaustive study on the word worship. I can't find one verse where worship means singing. Singing is an expression of worship, but the word worship in the Bible, both Old and New Testament, almost always means one of two things. To serve, to be laid out on your face, prostrate before God. Now, I know you've studied hermeneutics and exegesis. Those are fancy words for how to study the Bible that you learn in Bible school. One of the rules of scriptural interpretation and hermeneutics and exegesis is what they call the law of first mention. And this is when you're looking up a word or a topic or a subject, you go to the first place you can find that in the Bible, which most of the time is in Genesis, because that's the book of beginnings. The first place that the word worship is used in the Bible, and it isn't about music, I don't think, Abraham is taking Isaac up the mountain to sacrifice him. Oh, man, that's brutal. In obedience to God. He has some men with him. He says, you guys stay here, and the lad and I will go yonder and worship. That's the first time the word worship occurs in the Bible. Abraham is going to sacrifice Isaac, and he calls it worship. Now, I'm just going to tell you this. I do not believe that Abe and Zach were sitting around the fire singing Kumbaya. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it was a pretty tough thing, but it was, in Abraham's mind, it was worship. And all there's so much about worship. All through the scripture, worship has to do with serving or being on your face before God. Now, you can do that while you're singing. I can sing, and I'm absolutely worshiping God. But I can worship God without a note of music going on either. That's a hobby horse of mine. But I understand when people say, I bought a new worship CD. (laughs) Of course, my mind's playing all kinds of games about, now, how does that work? But what they mean is it's Christian music that is sung corporately. And I'm okay. I, I love that. That's one of my favorite parts of church is being in the song service. And, but you just um, want people to expand word. their thinking of that word worship. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's hit a couple of other little pet peeves because we're in the closing moments. Someone comes to me in church and says, Pastor, would you pray for me? I'm never going to say no, <laughs> I rarely. But I will always say I will, but you know, You can pray, too. And there's a bunch of other people here that can pray in case I'm not available. I don't have some special bat phone that connects me to God. You know, (laughs) and I think sometimes they think that about the pastor. Oh, he's got a hotline. Well, that's one of the myths that we have about the professional ministers, that he's closer to God than anybody else. Yeah, yeah. My prayers are no more powerful than anybody else's. In fact, I've always had people around me that are tremendous prayer warriors, and they're very effective in their prayers, and they don't have a title or an office or anything, but they're just, that's what God is using them for. My wife is a tremendous prayer, and she's bold. We'll be in the store, and we'll see somebody that we know, and if they're Christians, she'll say, let's pray. We're right there in the middle of aisle three praying, having a prayer meeting, and, and uh, or she'll see, she'll walk up to a complete stranger, and if they've got a cast or a cane or a wheelchair, she'll say, would you mind if I pray for you? <laughs> And she'll just, she's bold. So, but the pastor doesn't have any better prayer than you do. Now, the pastor should be on his medal. He should be listening to God and speaking to God and all of that. But but if you can't get to your pastor, don't think you're getting cheated if someone else has to pray for you, okay? So it's just one of those things. And then you said this, I love this. 
people come to you and say, can I say something to you out of love? Oh, yeah. And your answer, your answer is no. That's in my chapter on Christian phrases yeah. that we should retire. Yeah. Well, I have one that's similar to that. Someone will say, God sent me with a message for you. Yeah, exactly. And it's not that God doesn't talk and tell us to yeah, go to yeah, people, yeah, but yeah. I think 90% of the time God hasn't said one word to them. Well, what I say is, have you read Acts chapter 10? And they say, no, what is that? It's a story about a man named Cornelius and an apostle named Peter. And God told both parties. So they were expecting each other. And if someone comes up and says, well, God gave me a message to go, say, you know what? He didn't tell me you were coming. Okay. Well, Jim, we are out of time. As always, the time goes by far too fast. It was great having you on. We'll see you soon. All right. Talk to you later.